This is Deacon Mike Erb with St. Ignatius. Arise, it's a new day. Hear his word, let us pray. The sunrise morning show. A way to start your day. It is Friday, the 1st of March. It's a first Friday. Let's begin together in prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Son of the living God, give us your aid. When we have used our power to the detriment of others, teach us to love and respect our fellow men and women. When we have squandered the graces that we have been given, teach us to treasure every gift from you. When we have turned our faces from you, let us hear your gentle calling. Father, you are all merciful. Look not upon our sinfulness, but on our desire to serve you in love. Teach us to be good stewards of your gifts and to be compassionate to others. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. It is a better way to start the month of March, a first Friday. It is the Sunrise Morning Show here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. Travis has a video feed up and running. You can check that out in the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. Dr. Leonard DeLorenzo joins us uh, this morning after the news, and he'll be talking about more of the questions that Jesus asks in Scripture. Uh, we will look at uh, a couple of different meatless recipes with Rita Heikenfeld. It is a Friday in Lent, which means meats off the menu, boys. Uh, Ken Craycraft will also, uh, he's just written a piece for uh, our Sunday Visitor about Christian nationalism. And you hear that tossed around. Uh, a lot of people just apply it generally to anyone who's a Christian and an American, but it's much more narrowly understood. And Ken will talk about uh, what a Catholic is supposed to make of that whole question. We'll also look ahead to the Sunday Mass readings with Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, so stay with us if you can. Right now, it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. At least 100 people have been killed after Israeli soldiers opened fire on a crowd of Palestinians waiting for aid in Gaza City. That, according to a spokesperson for Gaza Health Ministry, the Israeli military said... It was reviewing what happened yesterday with one Israeli official saying IDF troops responded with live fire after trucks carrying humanitarian aid were surrounded by people. The Biden administration has said it was monitoring a, quote, serious incident at the Gaza aid site. Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny will be laid to rest today. Funeral services will be open to the public under heavy security. Some have warned that mourners who attend may be facing a risk. Following Navalny's death at a Russian prison weeks ago, hundreds of people were detained across the country for simply attending one of his memorials. Alexei Navalny was 47 years old. The Holy See's permanent observer to the United Nations has called for renewed international efforts to protect religious freedom. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini reports. In his address, Archbishop Balestrero lamented that discrimination and persecution of believers are on the rise worldwide. He cited data from Aid of the Church in Need, which shows that religious freedom is violated in almost one-third of the world's countries. 
The Vatican Observer also noted that in some Western countries, religious discrimination and censorship are being perpetrated under the guise of tolerance and inclusion. Regarding the general topic discussed at the session, Archbishop Balestrero remarked that in pursuing a more effective international cooperation to address the new challenges in the current multipolar world, the focus must remain on the dignity of the human person, which is the foundation of peace, as stated by the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, signed over 75 years ago. To improve multilateral diplomacy, it is therefore important to uphold values that are rooted in human dignity, which he noted must also become the guiding principle in the development and use of artificial intelligence. Archbishop Balestrero went on to remark that many of the challenges we face today stem from a lack of respect of human dignity and a failure to recognize our interconnectedness. He recalled the attempts to introduce so-called new rights that are not always consistent with what is truly good for the human person. These new rights, said the nuncio, have led to what Pope Francis has termed as an ideological colonization that also undermines human fraternity as they create divisions rather than fostering unity and peace. Concluding, Archbishop Balestrero reiterated that universal fraternity is an essential condition for the full realization of human rights in today's world. I am Lisa Zingarini. A bill that expands Louisiana's options for methods of capital punishment is on its way to the governor's desk. The state's legislature yesterday passed the bill authorizing the state to administer execution through lethal injections, the gas chamber, and the electric chair. Supporters say the U.S. Supreme Court has approved all three methods. Several faith leaders are calling them inhumane. State lawmakers passed the bill as they ended a special session dedicated to anti-crime measures yesterday afternoon. The Massachusetts Air National Guardsman accused of leaking classified military documents and posting them online is expected to plead guilty. Jack Teixeira reached an agreement with prosecutors yesterday. A court hearing is set for Monday. Teixeira is accused of abusing his security clearance and posting classified documents on social media sites. And Caitlin Clark is going pro. The Iowa women's basketball star announced yesterday she will be declaring for the NBA draft, deciding against coming back for a final season of college. Clark is the favorite to sweep national individual honors again in 2024 and broke Kelsey Plum's NCAA all-time scoring record Earlier this season, she is only 18 points away from passing Pete Maravich for the all-time record for men or women. The Indiana Fever hold the top pick in April's draft. So it sounds well, like she'll probably not be leaving the Midwest. She'll be uh, passing Pistol Pete. Can you believe so it? That'd be that'd be, uh, be kind of wild. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I've I've only seen like one game, and I think it was uh, when Ohio State actually beat. Right, uh, right, right. Beat them, beat Caitlin Clark and her team. But yeah, congratulations, Caitlin, yeah. on uh, on wherever you go back home in Indiana. Do you think she'll get? Dream. Let's see. When does? Do you have? I guess it. Well, I guess it doesn't matter. She could be in the March Madness stuff, and if she gets those 18 points, it would still count I think it her. still counts. Total. I don't know. It would I don't not know be how like these things work. 
regular season points. It's just all time. So she's got plenty of time to break that record. She's got a little time. A little time to break the record. Yeah, absolutely. Well, anyway, today, Friday, March the 1st, it is a first Friday. Can you believe it's March? Thanks for joining us here on the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. It's eight past. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. Leonard DeLorenzo with the McGrath Institute for Church Life at Notre Dame. He's host of the Church Life Today podcast. And we have been pondering the questions posed in his book, A God Who Questions. Good morning, Dr. DeLorenzo. Good morning, Annie. It's good to have you back. And so uh, today's question that we will be pondering is taken from John chapter 11. We're starting with verse 32. And just for context, um, Jesus has just found out that his friend Lazarus has died. And so he gets up to go see, well, after he waits, how long, Dr. De Lorenzo? I forget, I didn't look this up. How long did he wait? Four days. Four days, thank Several you. Several days. Several before, yep. days, he gets up and goes to see Martha and Mary, Lazarus's sisters. So uh, we're starting with verse 32 here. Then Mary, when she came where Jesus was and saw him, fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Now, a lot of people, Dr. DeLorenzo, focus on that verse 35, you know, pointing out it's the shortest verse, at least in English anyway, um, the uh, shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty-five. Jesus wept. But you actually focus on what he says right before that. Um, when they say, Lord, come and see, that's not the first time that we see that come and see in Scripture, is it? It is not. In this gospel, Jesus is the first one that issues that invitation or that command, come and see. It's in the first chapter of the gospel when the two disciples of John the Baptist come following after Jesus, after John the Baptist has pointed him out to them as the Lamb of God. And they ask him, where are you staying? And he says to them, come and see. Now, we don't hear in the beginning of John's gospel necessarily what they see when they come after him. But we do know that in following him to where he was going and in drawing near to him, they leave everything and follow him. They gather others to themselves to go with him. They proclaim him. So here Jesus is receiving the command you could say, the invitation that he had issued at the beginning to come and see. And I think it's wise for us in a sort of spiritual allegorical sense to connect these, Mm. to ponder what movement is taking place, both in Jesus who draws his disciples toward his place of abiding and dwelling, and the, the people who are sorrowful who beckon Jesus to come and see where the dead body of Lazarus lays. Yeah, where the dead body is is dwelling. And so, I mean, what do you take away from that? Because Jesus does go and see, and a great miracle occurs, but not after, not until after he 
enters into that that moment of of deep sorrow, clearly with Martha and Mary. Indeed, and that weeping that Jesus enters into is you you know if you read this passage you can say well it seems like it might have even been unnecessary had he come earlier let's say when Lazarus mm-hmm. was ill he could have healed him and avoided this depth of sorrow but that is an indication to us nothing that Jesus does is happenstance or accidental especially in John's gospel it's all part of the mission from the father And so what does he do? He actually wills to walk toward the deepest sorrow, the depth of their grief, and he clothes himself in it, you could say. He joins himself to it. He weeps as they weep. He goes to the source of their heartbreak and of their longing. He doesn't seek to stand removed from it. He doesn't seek to shield himself or them from it. Rather, He joins them in it. And that, I think, is what should compel us to ponder him more deeply. We know from St. Paul and his great hymn to the Philippians, that great Christological hymn, have this in mind among yourselves, which was in the mind of Christ Jesus, that he who is in the form of God did not grasp, did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. I think what we're seeing here is the movement of the Son of God emptying himself into our sorrow and into our grief, into what causes us consternation and even at times alienation from God. That's what he takes on as his own condition in the incarnation. Well, it's really incredible to think about it that way, knowing that this is happening right before he goes to his own passion and death, like literally entering into that that condition, that human condition that we all have in sin. Indeed. And, you know, I think one of the things I reflected on here are the steps of Jesus. You could say the way in which he moves himself, because what we see in the raising of Lazarus is the last of the seven signs in John's Mm -hmm. gospel. And as you rightly point out, immediately after this, he makes the decisive turn, the entry into Jerusalem, and he will make those steps. He'll move towards Jerusalem He'll move towards the malice of those who turn against him. He'll move towards his own suffering and passion. They're his steps. It's by his will. And ultimately, by taking those steps and moving as he wills, he places himself into the hands, into the desires of others. And in that way, you could say the culmination of all of his willful movement is to be disposed into the will of others. And that itself is is the movement of the incarnation. The eternal freedom of God is to place himself in our hands. So here in this episode with Lazarus, he moves willingly towards the sorrow. Of course, he raises up from that dark, deep place, new life for the one who has fallen. But in the passion which is to come, his obedient steps place him in that place of being moved by others. That is the passion, is to be moved by others who move him with disdain. And on the third day there, the Father will raise him up into eternal life. Mm -hmm. What we see is that the incarnation is no half job, you could say. It's all the way into the darkness and the depth, all the way into the most sorrowful places. And that is the place where God brings light and shows mercy. Exactly. He doesn't stay there. He, the, I, I think that this is such an important point 
for for us um, is to remember that, yeah, Jesus comes and, and dwells in the darkness with us only to bring us to new life, bring us into that light. He doesn't want us to stay in that darkness. That's right. And, you know, this mercy that is shown to us is unfathomable in two ways. One, that he is the one that can dispel the darkness. He is the light from the beginning. But secondly, that he doesn't do that from a distance, right? Right. When we are in the darkness of sin and shame and grief, he comes to share in that condition with us. They're not his sins. It's not his grief directly, but he takes it on as as his own. There is no separation in his intimacy. At our lowest points, he comes to join us so that at his highest points, we may join him. He's the one, you could say, that initiates that intimacy, that union. And when the two become flesh, they shall not be separated. Here we see that he joins us so we may join him. That's the great move that's taking place all throughout John's Gospel and all throughout the Incarnation. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Leonard DeLorenzo. You can find his book, A God Who Questions, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. We got headlines coming up next. It's 17 past. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save, 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare, 844-334-3245. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Hi, this is Mike Aquilina with a few words about St. John Chrysostom. St. John Chrysostom is probably the most famous Christian preacher in all of history. His name, which is really a nickname, Chrysostom, means golden mouth. It was given to him because of his preaching. People went to Mass just to hear him preach. St. John Chrysostom was a hero, and he taught us how to speak the truth, but also how to live by that truth, even if we're called to live it heroically. 19 past. Here's Anna with headlines. At least 100 people have been killed after Israeli soldiers fired on a crowd of Palestinians waiting for aid in Gaza City. The Holy See's permanent observer to the United Nations has called for renewed international efforts to protect religious freedom. And the Holy See yesterday released the Pope's liturgical schedule for the month of March, which includes... Holy Week and Easter celebrations. 
Do we know uh, what the Stations of the Cross theme is this year? Uh, no, I didn't see that in the release. Be interested. That's always a powerful thing mm-hmm. to uh, participate in the Stations of the Cross. I'm always more interested to see when, in Rome. if and when, the Holy See releases where Pope Francis will celebrate the Mass of the Lord's Supper on Holy indeed, Thursday. Because that well, was not listed. It wasn't listed. All right. Well, what is listed in uh, EWTN's March featured book of the month, new from EWTN Publishing, Guideposts for the Journey Home. Uh, Marcus wrote the wrote the forward for it, but it's uh, it's some transcribed interviews from Journey Home episodes. Ooh, uh, people like neat. Uh, Father Grishel and Mother Angelica herself. Uh, cool. If you don't know her journey, and some others in the mix. I believe a guy named Scott Hahn's in there oh. at least once. I think I've heard of him. Uh, but you can check out Guideposts for the Journey Home by, well, it's by all these other people, right? Uh, but it's a forward uh, by Marcus Grodi, available now at EWTNRC.com. That's the featured book for the month of March in the EWTN Religious Catalog. Are you in it? I am not in it. Ugh. I'm not as cool as those other folks. Rats. It's 21 past are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Have you subscribed to get the Sunrise Morning Show show notes? When you subscribe, the show notes arrive in your inbox weekday mornings with the list of featured guests, books, articles, and websites we'll discuss. And then you'll also get the podcast with markers to quickly find and hear an interview again or to see the Sunrise Morning Show on video. So to know when your favorite guests are on, Go to sunrisemorningshow.com and click subscribe. This is Deacon Bill Mullaney with a Lenten prayer. Almighty Father, when your son was taken to Calvary, he no longer spoke to his persecutors. There was nothing more to say. He had told them what they needed to know to understand who he was, yet they refused to listen. Open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts that we might come to see and hear and know more fully the real meaning of Calvary and your son's sufferings. Help us then to know the real meaning of this Lenten season. Help us welcome this time of prayer and fasting as a way of preparing to come into the Easter season more fully aware that Jesus Christ is Lord, Savior, and Redeemer. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. It is time for Bible Foods, and if there's only one reason, I mean, there are multiple reasons, but if you only have one reason to go subscribe to the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com, it's so that once a week you can get recipes from Rita Heikenfeld, especially during Lent when some of us are trying to get out of our creative ruts uh, and make good meatless recipes uh, that are healthy and tasty and get the job done while also uh, sticking to what we're trying to do during Lent, which is to kind of put some things off to the side and do things a little different. Rita, good morning. Well, good morning. Boy, you just said it all right there, Matt. 
I'm telling you, you're about to say some more because we're going to talk about cheese <laughs> in the Bible. And uh, some people are like, cheese in the Bible? Where in the world is cheese in the Bible? Oh, my goodness. You think one of the places in, in 2 Samuel in chapter 17, um, cheese was offered as an uh, entertainment food when David was offered cheese, among other things, after he spent many days in the wilderness. And when you think of cheese as an ancient food, um, yeah, people were making use of what they called curdled milk to make into cheese. And the reason is there wasn't any, you know, we didn't have a lot of refrigeration back then. And the, the protein that people got from cheese, especially during that time, was really important because unless you were really wealthy, meat wasn't, you know, a regular part of your diet. So um, I always think necessity being the mother of invention, it, uh, you know, their dairy was made into cheese and, of course, yogurt. So, yeah, it was really an important part of their food diet. Well, and you've said this before when we've talked about beef and uh, other things related to livestock. Uh, your cow is not just a source of protein and meat. It's also an employee. So, <laughs> you know, you're more likely to want milk and cheese from that cow than you are beef because if you slaughter it for, well, as you mentioned when we talked about the prodigal son a few weeks mm -hmm. back, you slaughter the fatted calf, well, suddenly you don't have a milk source anymore. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, these, are, sure. these are important things. But uh, when it comes to cheese, uh, a lot of us probably have some cheese in our fridge, and we've wondered uh, if it gets a little green around the edges. Do we throw the whole thing out, or is there something we can do? Well, first of all, if it gets a, you know, a little bit of molt, I just trim that off if, it, if it's not through the center. But here's a tip. Um, for most cheeses, if you put a little bit of vinegar onto cheesecloth or a paper towel and then wrap your cheese in, in that and then in your plastic wrapper foil, what happens is the vinegar provides like an acid shield, and it's not going to make the cheese taste funny like um, vinegar, Matt, but it will stop mold from forming. So with these, you know, food prices so high, that's really a good tip. Just a little vinegar on a cheesecloth or paper towel, wrap your cheese in it, and then wrap it as you would normally. No need to throw it out. Uh, there's mm -mm. still some good in that cheese, especially if you got one of those bricks, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Bricks of yeah. cheddar uh, that you might get uh, that are, you know, a pound of cheese. You No need to throw the whole thing out just because one corner got green. You can uh, you can remedy that. But, you know, read it during this time of year, it's Lent, and we are trying to remind ourselves of the fasting that Jesus did in the desert, the sacrifice to come during Holy Week, uh, and, and we're holding off on stuff, right? We're cutting things out of our diet. But cheese is one of those things that does make an appearance pretty prominently during Lent, whether it's mac and cheese at your parish fish fry with the Knights of Columbus, mm -hmm. grilled cheese sandwiches, cheese pizza, what have you. But you've got a vegetarian stromboli recipe uh, yeah. that seems pretty fascinating. I want to hear more about it. Well, and I thought for you and Annie and, and all of our, our listeners and readers with um, kids, young or older, this is really perfect because you're going to start off with about a pound of pizza dough. And on my side, I have a recipe for homemade, or you can buy it, no big deal. And then what you're going to do, you're going to roll it out um, into a circle or a rectangle, about fourth, a fourth of an inch thick. And then um, you're going to mix some mozzarella cheese and some gruyere, or really your favorite cheeses, a little oregano and basil, because those go good with the mozzarella and gru uh, gruyere. And then a little garlic. I usually use a, one clove mince. You could do some garlic powder. So you got about eight ounces total of cheese, about half a teaspoon each of uh, dried oregano and some dried basil and a little garlic. 
And then what you do is you just mix that up in a bowl and you just place it on the dough, leave a border. Um, and then if you've got any spinach or other greens, even the mixed salad greens in the fridge, you want to chop some of those up really fine, sprinkle that on top. And then basically you just roll that dough into a cylinder and you start at the long end and then uh, tucking, you tuck the ends under securely, of, of course. And then you just place that seam side down on a parchment lined or sprayed baking sheet um, I like to brush it with some olive oil, and you just bake it in a hot oven, 425, about 25 minutes. Um, we cool it a little bit before slicing, and I'm telling you what, it is so good. Um, and I was thinking you probably, instead of just serving the stromboli, you'd have a little bowl of pizza sauce or something for the kids to dip into. That's not a bad idea. Get some tomato sauce and maybe add your own oregano and basil to that as well. You know, mm-hmm. what's what's cool, Rita, and we've talked about this before, and Annie and I talk about this all the time, like how do you smuggle vegetables into a dish mm-hmm. so, so kids don't notice? I mean, you can smuggle bell peppers into this one real easy. You know, you can smuggle... Uh, you know, some some even sliced like asparagus or something into something like this pretty easily, and your kids think pizza or pizza roll, and it goes right by, and they don't even notice. That's that's really true, and especially if you slice them up thin. And plus, when you do something green or red like a bell pepper, um, it adds some color. Oh, the to color's it too. so cool! Yeah. yeah, you also have, and I was telling Annie about this just a moment ago, you have a sophisticated grilled cheese sandwich which involves uh, shredded Swiss, shredded uh, gruyere, which is usually used in French onion soup, shredded white or yellow cheddar, some mayo, some Dijon. If you want to upscale your cheese sandwich game, head over to sunrisemorningshow.com, find Rita's recipe, and find more of her recipes at abouteating.com. Rita, thank you as always for helping us to uh, figure out Lenten Fridays a little bit better. Well, that's wonderful, and I knew you'd love that sophisticated grilled cheese. And I'll talk to you next week, Matt. Thanks so much, Rita. Don't forget, your uh, parish probably has something going on tonight. Uh, It may have a soup supper or a fish fry, uh, and almost certainly has Stations of the Cross, so participate if you can. Half past the hour, here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. At least 100 people are dead after an Israeli attack on a crowd of Palestinians waiting for aid in Gaza City. That according to a spokesperson for Gaza Health Ministry. The Israeli military said it is still reviewing what happened yesterday with one Israeli official saying IDF troops responded with live fire after trucks carrying humanitarian aid were surrounded by people. The Biden administration said it was monitoring a, quote, serious incident at the Gaza aid site. Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny is set to be laid to rest today. Funeral services will be open to the public, albeit under heavy security. Some have warned that mourners who attend might be facing a risk because following his death at a Russian prison a few weeks ago, hundreds of people were detained across the country for simply attending one of his memorials. Alexei Navalny was 47 years old. The Vatican's Secretary for Relations with States is in Turkey for a diplomacy summit. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Lubov reports. Archbishop Paul Richard Gallagher has traveled to Turkey for the Antalya Diplomacy Forum 2024, participating Friday and Saturday in the annual event that from the 1st to the 3rd of March will bring together heads of state, ministers, diplomats, business leaders, and academics to discuss pressing global issues and challenges. 
With the theme Advancing Diplomacy in Times of Turmoil, the forum is being held under the auspices of President Erdogan of Turkey and with the cooperation of Turkey's Ministry of Foreign Affairs. In its third edition, which takes place as the wars continue to cause suffering in Ukraine and the Middle East, the forum is expected to explore peaceful paths to the global unrest through various panel discussions, keynote speeches, and networking opportunities aimed at fostering dialogue and cooperation. According to its website, international challenges to be discussed at the venue will include the ongoing wars, acts of terrorism, irregular migration, rise of xenophobia and Islamophobia, unforeseen risks of AI, climate change, natural disasters, pandemics, and widening socioeconomic gaps. Yesterday, Archbishop Gallagher arrived in Turkey, where he celebrated Holy Mass in Istanbul. Today, he is meeting with Ecumenical Patriarch of Constantinople, Bartholomew I. I'm Deborah Castellano-Lubov. A bill that expands Louisiana's options for methods of execution is on its way to the governor's desk. The state legislature yesterday passed the bill authorizing the state to administer capital punishment through lethal injections, the gas chamber, and the electric chair. Supporters say the U.S. Supreme Court has approved all three methods. Several faith leaders are calling them inhumane. State lawmakers passed the bill as they ended a special session dedicated to anti-crime measures yesterday afternoon. The Massachusetts Air National Guardsman accused of leaking classified military documents and posting them online is pleading guilty. Brian Shook reports. Jack Teixeira reached an agreement with prosecutors on Thursday. Federal prosecutors filed a motion for a Rule 11 hearing set for Monday, where it's unknown what charge or charges he will plead guilty to. Teixeira is accused of abusing his security clearance and posting classified documents on social media sites. I'm Brian Shook. The latest inflation report shows it rose in line with expectations last month. Mark Mayfield has the story. The Personal Consumption Expenditures Price Index, excluding food and energy costs, increased 0.4% in January, rose 2.8% compared to a year ago, as predicted by economists. The report from the Consumer Department comes as the Federal Reserve is considering whether or not to start lowering interest rates. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell said last month that he wants to see more good data before interest rates start to be cut. I'm Mark Mayfield. The Holy See yesterday released the Pope's liturgical schedule for the month of March, which includes Holy Week and Easter celebrations. The Pope is set to preside over the Chrism Mass in St. Peter's Basilica in the morning on Holy Thursday, but the Holy See did not reveal where he will be celebrating the Mass of the Lord's Supper. The Pope has in the past gone out to a pastoral location like a prison or shelter instead of celebrating it at the traditional site of the Basilica of St. John Lateran. That's the news. You're listening to The Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 minutes. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, leah at sacredheartradio.com. That's leah 
at sacredheartradio.com. If you're switching from coffee to tea for Lent, the Mystic Monks have got you covered with a dozen options from your usual Darjeeling and Earl Grey to more exotic flavors like lemongrass mint and blossoming jasmine. Whether you're buying tea or coffee, you can support the Sunrise Morning Show by earning us a commission on your purchase when you click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. While you're there, browse the Sunrise Morning Show mugs and etched travel mugs in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee and tea at sonrisemorningshow.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. How dangerous sin is, be it ever so small and slight. See that you do not loiter by the wayside, but always keep on walking straight ahead. Keep on the watch against venial sin, since neglecting the help of grace even once, we leave ourselves open to commit the same sin again. And with the multiplication of venial sins, we dispose ourselves to commit mortal sins. Why are you in such a hurry? Go about your work slowly and peacefully, doing one thing at a time. In this way, you will make good progress. For Sacred Heart Radio, I am Father Chris Armstrong. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Anna Mitchell, and uh, we had Ken Craycraft all lined up to talk about a great piece that he wrote uh, for our Sunday Visitor about the question of Christian nationalism, but Ken's a little under the weather this morning. Hope you feel better, Ken. Hope you feel better, man. Uh, I'm bummed. You'll but part of you're you're an okay substitute for Ken Craycraft. I yeah, mean, I'm it's n- fine. I'm not. I'll worthy talk to you. That dude's Crocs. So the uh, article that uh, that Ken wrote is partly in response to a series of things. Uh, uh, David French wrote something. Uh, mm-hmm. There was also a, a journalist uh, who went on I can't even remember which cable news talking head channel and said mm-hmm. something about these Christian nationalists. They don't think that your rights come from the government. They think they come from some higher power, which is a weird brush to blanket Christian yeah. nationalists with because it was Thomas Jefferson, probably like the, the least Christian of the founding fathers, <laughs> who wrote the words that uh, we are endowed actually by our creator, creator. Mm-hmm. with those inalienable rights. Um, but the one thing I, I, I want to point out, and this whole question of Christian nationalism, and, and Ken mentions this in this article, often uh, the the sort of secular liberal talking head world wants to paint anybody who has any belief in God as a Christian nationalist, which is firstly extremely unfair. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is such a thing as Christian nationalism out there. It's a highly Protestantized, often rare, pretty fundamentalist Protestant Reality, and I have found in my experience uh, as a convert who came from you know the '80s religious right world that people who cling to that concept are usually people who also deny the reality of a visible church. Mm-hmm. So because they don't have a visible church that is the kingdom of God on earth for them, they there have is to a desire create to kind of like it. yeah, you know, do this in in like a at the state level, which I mean. Bear in mind, we want our government to be informed by principles of Catholic social Absolutely. teaching and the gospel of Jesus Christ, too. But Absolutely. it's just a different kind of way of looking at it. Um, yeah. But, the so, Oh, go ahead. Oh, go, No, you go ahead. Well, I was just going to say um, the 
this piece that Ken wrote, um, he mentioned a column by David French, who um, is kind of the token conservative, one of the token conservative columnists at the New York Times now. And he writes this in that column. The problem with Christian nationalism isn't with Christian participation in politics, but rather the belief that there should be Christian primacy in politics and law. It can manifest itself through ideology, identity, and emotion. And if it were to take hold, David French said, it would both upend our constitution and fracture our society. Okay, I have many problems with what David French said there. Um, As a Catholic, Christian, well, I don't think he knows what he means. I don't think he does either. By the way, if you read Ken's article, Ken doesn't think he knows what he means either. I, I, he's, there's this problem. See, look. The United States Constitution and liberalism, as it is traditionally known, which is, you know, this idea of individual rights, is simply not compatible with Catholicism. That's called Americanism. It was a heresy that was condemned by the Holy See. Um, And you just... Where we as Catholics and and what I think David French should be thinking of when he says Christian primacy in politics and law, what that should mean is an adherence to the common good, not to individual rights. And I think this is where David French gets it wrong, is that he believes that the individual is the basic unit of society, and so all thought all ideas are equal and that's just not where we begin as catholics we begin that the highest good for the human person is god himself and so all things including including our governing bodies should be raising up all of humanity to reach its highest end to reach its highest good and should not be ignoring the fact, looking the other way from the fact that God, union with God, is man's highest good, whether he knows it or not. Yeah. Well, and in all this, too, I mean, I think you, you made an important point. Christian nationalism, as you know, understood as this sort of, you know, kind of Protestant, even sort of fundamentalist reality, uh, it does— you know, elevate the individual as the basic unit of society, but the church says the basic unit of society is the family. The family. So w- when you even talk about the language of, uh, you know, the pro-life movement, right, uh, if if we're arguing it from a Christian nationalist framework, we're arguing the rights of the baby versus the rights of the mother, but if we're understanding it as Catholics, <laughs> we're mm-hmm. arguing as uh, the preservation of the family and the common good. So mm-hmm. these are very different yeah. kinds of ways of just, yeah. it's just a different 
a different paradigm for such things. And but I Ken think po- that people, yeah. well, I just want to point out one thing before you move back to Ken. I'll give it back to you sure. in just a second. But the, um, I, I want to make the point that a lot of people bristle at the idea of individual rights being incompatible with Christianity because we look at this from a religious freedom standpoint. And, and yes, like the church now has to fight for religious freedom for individuals because that's the paradigm in which we find ourselves. Um, but that is, as as Jesus would say, it was not so from the beginning. So yeah. I just want to let I just want to say that outright um, that that we do believe in religious freedom, but that's only because we find ourselves in this untenable situation as Catholics in a democracy. Go ahead. Well, and in, in an increasingly secular progressive uh, democracy. But mm-hmm. Ken points out the conceit of all of this. So uh, someone from a secular liberal progressive you know, worldview and an idea of government might say, we don't want you imposing your beliefs on other people, when in fact, by doing that, they are themselves imposing. imposing. <laughs> yes. And, and, and it this is, is what this... Carlo Broussard's book is all right. about. We've been doing a series this... with him. Weird schizophrenia where people want to elect leaders with certain principles, but we don't want them to actually uh, let the thing that informs those principles inform the way they govern. (laughs) So uh, as Ken puts it here uh, in his article for our Sunday Visitor, he says, everyone believes that his or her moral positions should have primacy in politics and law. Everyone, including liberals, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And so the – as I like to say – Everybody's got a religion. Some people believe in the supernatural. So one view or another is going to win out in these conversations, and it will be a group that is imposing that on the rest of the country. Even if you are saying that, you know, we don't believe that your beliefs should have a play in this, you're actually coming from a position of belief by stating that. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, as Chesterton once said, and I'll close with this, uh, he says something to the effect about how everybody thinks that the skeptic is the unbiased person. Right. When in fact, the skeptic has a, a very strong bias towards skepticism. Yeah, <laughs> so. absolutely. Absolutely. I would encourage folks. So Ken has a book that's coming out, I think, next week. Uh, oh, Citizens already? Yet Strangers Living Authentically Catholic in a Divided America. I would also, if folks are more interested in Catholic political thought, Go to the Institute of Catholic Culture. Father Hezekiah Carnazzo is going to be here next. Dr. Chad Pecknell did a year-long course, which is now available on demand. For free. For free on Catholic political thought. And uh, 101 starts with, like, Jesus and moves up to 1517. And then 102 starts with the Protestant Reformation and moves up to modern times. And I learned so much. There's a lot so much. to learn. Yeah. It's a different way of looking at the world. Mm-hmm. Back after this, it is 14 till. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. Are you longing to hear God's voice? 
Lord, Teach Me to Pray, the free Ignatian prayer series will open your heart to His voice, to the peace you're seeking, and the only love that fulfills the human heart, Jesus. God is calling you to true joy by knowing Jesus personally. Lord, Teach Me to Pray is free. Just go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red box and order the Lord, Teach Me to Pray series. Again, that's lordteachmetopray.com. Did you give up coffee or caffeine for Lent? Be sure to check out the tea and decaf offerings from the Mystic Monks of Wyoming. Find a link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sunrisemorningshow.com. When you make a purchase after clicking our link, we earn a commission to help support the show. The monks also have their seasonal favorite Pasca Java available for you to buy now in anticipation of your Easter Sunday feast. And why not add a Sunrise Morning Show mug to include in the Easter basket? Find those mugs and a Mystic Monk Coffee link at sonrisemorningshow.com. Church Pop takes a fresh and fun look at the news shaping our world, featuring engaging, inspiring, and informative Catholic social media content. Find it on Snapchat, Instagram, and on the web at churchpop.com. And you can get Church Pop emailed directly to your inbox. Visit EWTN.com and click subscribe. EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. On the next More to Life, no joy. Challenges getting you down will help you discover the path to a more joyful, abundant life. That's later today on More to Life. Now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. Joining us again on the Sunrise Morning Show is Father Hezekiah Carnazzo from the Institute of Catholic Culture. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Annie. A blessed to be with you and your listeners here on the third Sunday of Lent. Yes, as we look ahead to Mass this Sunday, the third Sunday of Lent, as you say, it's good to have you back. And our first reading this weekend is taken from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, It will sound rather familiar to listeners, I think, because it's the Ten Commandments. Why would we be hearing about the Ten Commandments at this point in Lent? Well, Annie, the the Ten Commandments, I think many people, if they reflected all upon this passage about why and asked themselves that question, might think, well, it's God telling us what to do. And during Lent, we got to really listen to what the Church tells us what to do. We got (laughs) to fast and we got to do these things and, you know, all these obligations and so forth, but it has nothing to do with that. And quite the opposite, actually, the purpose of this entire thing is given to us and given to God's people, actually, originally, in a way that is, it is highlighted by our responsorial psalm. Lord, you have the words of everlasting life, Psalm 19. And, and there it opens up for us a different way of seeing the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments are not a packet of do this and don't do that. I like to think of the, the commandments, and, and we can think of the Church's teaching also in this way, as the car manual in our glove compartment, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's written by the one who made the car, and therefore it has all the secrets, if you will, about how to be a happy car, right? You put the oil here and the gas there, and you do these things, and you're going to have a happy car. It's going to run well. It's going to do what it's supposed to do. And that's exactly what's going on in the life of Israel during the time of the Exodus is the question of how they're to live rightly, how they're going to find happiness. And, of course, mixed up with all of that is the fact that they just came out of Egypt. As as, uh, one modern scholar put it, 
it was it was easier to get Israel out of Egypt than to get Egypt out of Israel. And there in at Mount Sinai in the desert, God found a people that was very much attached, believe it or not, to their old way of life, to the things of Egypt, even in a strange way to the slavery, to their slave master. Uh, and they're mixed up with all that was the pagan gods of Egypt, their attachment to those gods, which is the first part of the commandment, how they're going to relate to the one true God, right? God is not uh, a multitude of, of gods, you know, and everything, the frogs and the and the pigs. and the, I mean, literally, the Egyptians worshipped everything. And this was a way in which the, the commandments say, no, 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 there's one true God, and here's how you're going to relate to him. The commandments are divided into two, into two sections. One related to God, and one related to man. Of course, Jesus is going to summarize all of this by saying, love the Lord your God with your whole heart, your whole mind, your whole soul, and your neighbor as yourself, because this is what it means to live the good life, to, to live out our image and likeness to God. And of course, when we relate to the Lord in that way, in the right way, we call that relation worship. That's when we love God, we pour out our life to Him, uh, we discover our life as a gift from God and our life as that which is meant to be returned to God. And that's the, the, the fundamental thing which, which Moses is trying to teach the people in the book of Exodus and which the Church, I believe, is trying to teach us. Give up your attachments to the things of this world and reorient your life to God and then having rediscovered the one in whose image of likeness you've been made, do what he has done for you, and has pour your life out to those around you. Well, that makes for an interesting connection then to the gospel passage that we'll have this weekend as we head to the gospel of John chapter 2 and the story of the cleansing of the temple. It seems that the Jews still don't know how to properly relate to God, as evidenced by what Jesus has to do here. Yeah, most people don't, don't realize that what, what's going on is Jesus is inside the temple. And inside the temple, or at least inside the temple precincts, that area is dedicated to doing what we just said, loving God and loving my neighbor. Man restored the image and likeness of God. But in, in fact, the Jews have turned this place into a, a marketplace. The money changers have taken up the, the court of the Gentiles, where all peoples are meant to come to the true faith to worship the Lord, they've probably taken up portions of the women's court um, and turned it into a marketplace. And instead of it being a place where they might worship God and love their neighbor, it's a place of, of uh, you know, it's, uh, well, you, you can imagine what was going on with the stench and and so forth. And Jesus walks in as pro- as prophesied by the prophets. It was always, so when the Messiah comes, it's what's going to happen. He's going to cleanse the Levites. He's going to cleanse the temple. He's going to restore true worship, true love of man to their, their Lord and Creator. And so when Jesus walks in and does this, he fulfills the prophets and what they said would take place, and he begins to prepare the people for the entire purpose of the Incarnation, and that is to restore our communion with God through worship. And kind of interesting that this happens at Passover, right? This is mm-hmm. an important theme in the, the Gospel of John in general. It is Passover. Remember, the original Passover in Egypt freed God's people from, from Egypt, from slavery in Egypt, um, and, uh, and, and put to death the firstborn 
of Egypt. Of course, the firstborn of Egypt that represents all of Egypt, and not only not only the people, but all of that which is Egypt, put to death slavery, put to death false worship. You know, of course, slavery is is false relationship with our brother, right? And so it puts to death the old life. And this is what Jesus does on Passover. He comes to, comes into the temple, turning the temple tables over, and he. And, he, and, he, and in, a, in a sense, he lives out Passover in this moment, freeing God's people from their attachment to the things of this world and giving them back again their attachment to their one true God. This is all going to come to fulfillment, of course. When Jesus comes in that third Passover in the Gospel of John and passes over from death to life and gives us the light of the third-day resurrection. We've been talking to Father Hezekiah Carnazzo. And, Father, if listeners want to check out the Lenten resources over at the Institute, where can they find them? Oh, I got to say, we're living Lent the way it's supposed to be lived at the Institute of Catholic Culture. Come over, check us out if you want more out of your Lenten journey. Instituteofcatholicculture.org. Instituteofcatholicculture.org. And you can find instituteofcatholicculture.org linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. If you click on the Explore button and then click on Gospel Reflections, you can find a Bible study that Father and I do each week looking at the readings for Mass each Sunday. And there are some things in the Bible study for this weekend that I didn't know. Kind of blew my mind. Jesus as the new Moses and whatnot. It's also where you can find uh, Catholic political thought like we were talking about uh, in the last segment together. We got another hour of the Sunrise Morning Show coming up for most of our affiliates here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Hope you can stay with us. Continue on this Friday, the 1st of March. Uh, it's the first Friday of the month. Uh, we're going to pray St. Hildegard of Bingen's Holy Spirit Prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, comforting fire, life of all creation, anointing the sick, cleansing body and soul, fill this body. Holy Spirit, sacred breath, fire of love, sweetest taste, beautiful aroma, fill this heart. Holy Spirit, filling the world from the heights to the deep, Raining from clouds, filling rivers and sea, fill this mind. Holy Spirit, bringing light into dark places, igniting praise, greatest gift, our hope and encourager, Holy Spirit of Christ, I praise you. Amen. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. It is a better way to start the month of March, the Sunrise Morning Show. Thanks for being along on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. We've got a video feed. You can check it out in the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. Emily Jaminet's going to be along. It is a first Friday, and it's always great to catch up with Emily and look at aspects of the Sacred Heart devotion, which is connected with First Fridays. Marlon De La Torre will join us and talk about why the devil doesn't want you to repent. Uh, we'll also talk to Bobby Schindler from the Terry Schiavo Life and Hope Network, and Father Jonathan Duncan will preview the Sunday Mass readings, so do stay with us if you are able.
Right now it is two minutes past the hour. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. At least 100 people have been killed after Israeli soldiers fired on a crowd of Palestinians apparently waiting for aid in Gaza City. That's according to a spokesperson for Gaza Health Ministry. The Israeli military has said it was reviewing what happened yesterday, with one Israeli official saying IDF troops responded with live fire after trucks carrying humanitarian aid were surrounded by people. The Biden administration has only said it was monitoring a, quote, serious incident at the Gaza aid site. Funeral services are underway now amid heavy security as Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny is being laid to rest today. The services are open to the public, but some have warned that mourners who attend may be facing a risk. There is no indication that his widow is in attendance. Following Navalny's death at a Russian prison weeks ago, hundreds of people were detained across the country for simply attending one of his memorials. The Holy See's permanent observer to the United Nations has called for renewed international efforts to protect religious freedom. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini reports. In his address, Archbishop Balestrero lamented that discrimination and persecution of believers are on the rise worldwide. He cited data from Aid of the Church in Need, which show that religious freedom is violated in almost one-third of the world's countries. The Vatican Observer also noted that in some Western countries, religious discrimination and censorship are being perpetrated under the guise of tolerance and inclusion. Regarding the general topic discussed at the session, Archbishop Balestrero remarked that in pursuing a more effective international cooperation to address the new challenges in the current multipolar world, the focus must remain on the dignity of the human person, which is the foundation of peace, as stated by the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, signed over 75 years ago. To improve multilateral diplomacy, it is therefore important to uphold values that are rooted in human dignity, which he noted must also become the guiding principle in the development and use of artificial intelligence. Archbishop Balestrero went on to remark that many of the challenges we face today stem from a lack of respect of human dignity and a failure to recognize our interconnectedness. He recalled the attempts to introduce so-called new rights that are not always consistent with what is truly good for the human person. These new rights, said the nuncio, have led to what Pope Francis has termed as an ideological colonization that also undermines human fraternity as they create divisions rather than fostering unity and peace. Concluding, Archbishop Balestrero reiterated that universal fraternity is an essential condition for the full realization of human rights in today's world. I am Lisa Zingarini. In vitro fertilization protections are being pushed through in the Alabama legislature. The state House and state Senate have passed bills to protect the procedure yesterday. The decision comes after the Alabama Supreme Court ruled last week that a frozen embryo can be considered a child. At that time, since that time, IVF treatments have been postponed because IVF often involves the destruction of human embryos. 
The largest wildfire in Texas history has spread into Oklahoma and has claimed two lives so far. The Smokehouse Creek Fire started Monday north of Amarillo and has scorched more than a million acres across the Texas panhandle. Yesterday, it spread into Oklahoma, where it had burned more than 30,000 acres as of last night. Family members say 83-year-old Joyce Blankenship was found dead Wednesday at her home in Hutchinson County, Texas. A second death has been reported near Hemphill County, where an Amarillo woman died after her car was surrounded by the fire. The Massachusetts Air National Guardsman accused of leaking classified military documents and posting them online is pleading guilty. Jack Teixeira reached an agreement with prosecutors yesterday. And the Holy See yesterday released the Pope's liturgical schedule for the month of March, which amazingly includes Holy Week and Easter celebrations. The Pope is set to preside over the Chrism Mass in St. Peter's Basilica in the morning on Holy Thursday, but the Holy See did not reveal where he will celebrate the Mass of the Lord's Supper yet. The Pope has in the past gone out to a pastoral location like a prison or a shelter instead of the traditional site of the Basilica of St. John Lateran to celebrate that liturgy. Well, and no word forget. that I have been able to find on what is the theme for the, the theme Good for the Friday. Of the cross. Yeah. <clears throat> It'd be interesting to see, but you know, uh, that's one of the reasons you keep it tuned to Catholic Radio. You mm-hmm. can actually hear this stuff broadcast. It is uh, or true. watch it on EWTN television. So it's always nice to, you know, to do these things in our parishes. Like we've got stations at the cross at my parish tonight after a simple soup supper. Um, but it's also cool to be able to plug into the whole universal church on, uh, especially those Triduum liturgies mm-hmm. are just powerful. Very yeah. Powerful. They really are. They really are. Good Lenten slash Holy Week slash Easter viewing rather than, I don't know, the Easter Bunny show. Does that exist? I think there is an Easter Bunny show. The Easter you know, Bunny like, Hour? The, um, well, like one of those, you know, like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer shows up in, like... Oh, like the Rankin and Bass Like things. the... I don't know what Rankin and Bass means. Burgermeister, Meister Burgers. Something like that. Claymation Easter Bunny show. I don't know. Sounds, sounds very anyway, compelling. I'm, I'm sure it's great. I'm sure it's great. But Fantastic I'd rather... Television. I'd rather watch the Via Crucis myself. I think so. Anyway. Today is Friday, March the 1st. It is the first Friday of March. And, of course, first Friday devotion, uh, very much linked to devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And so it's time for our monthly visit. Emily Jaminette joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We've been using her book, Holy Habits from the Sacred Heart. Good morning, Emily. Well, good morning. Happy First Friday, especially as we're right in the middle of Lent. When I look at my calendar, I'm like, everybody, this is it. This is the month. Let's do our very best we can of making those holy sacrifices and better responding to Jesus's most perfect heart. Amen to that. So we are looking at the third holy habit in your book. And like you say, Lent is a great time to uh, be looking, well, to be looking at any of the holy habits, really, but this one in particular, um, I think, is is really pertinent for the Lenten season. You start off this chapter, so the, it says, make yours a house of prayer, build fortitude with Jesus. And, and you start off by asking the question, Emily, do you love with strings? What do you mean by that? Unpack this. Well, this idea of these counterfeits of love, right? We know Jesus tells us in 1 Corinthians 
Well, we, we read in 1 Corinthians just the, the type of love that is perfect, that flows from the heart of Jesus. We know that it's patient and it's kind, it's not jealous. We know that the love that flows from our Savior's heart, that it is, it is um, ever holy. Mm-hmm. And yet, as we go, especially in our relationships at home, we find these disordered, disordered attachments. We find things that are not of God, such as selfishness. You know, jealousy, we see anger coming in, manipulation. So the first place I want to start with is just this idea of, you know, taking an inner look. How am I loving the people in my life? Am I loving like Christ wants me to love them? Mm -hmm. Um, I have, I don't remember who it was that made this recommendation, but looking at that passage in 1 Corinthians 13, um, inserting your name in the place of the word love and mm-hmm. seeing if it's true. So, like, Annie is patient. Annie is kind. Annie is not jealous, is not pompous. She is not inflated. She is not rude. She does not seek her own interests. She is not quick-tempered. She does not brood over injury. You just, like, oh, my gosh. Actually, I've got a lot of work to do. <laughs> well, and maybe you found that disordered love, right? Just yeah. by saying that, something popped out at you, Annie. Because when you were reading it and I replaced my name, things popped off the page just as simple as that. But that's exactly what the Lord wants us to do is to reflect on our heart because He's offering us this perfect abundance of love. The question is, how are we responding to it? What are we doing? What disordered behaviors are being tolerated under the name of love in mm. our own relationships? So Oof. that's really this chapter is reminding us to get our hearts in line with his heart so that we can better and perfectly love those in our life. So then how do we start with a spiritual makeover of our home? Well, in the chapter, I do talk about, I challenge all of us to have a spiritual makeover. And right now in the springtime, we have home show, home and garden shows and all these things mm-hmm. that are focusing on what we can get ready for on the inside or the outside of our home. But I think a spiritual makeover is essential, that we first and foremost, we need to have an image of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. I love the Immaculate Heart of Mary, which is right next to my Sacred Heart as well. But we need to have the King of Kings in our home. And what's so beautiful about this devotion is I'm not just saying this because it's a good thing to do. I'm saying this because Jesus requested that the image be exposed and honored so that we can be blessed. He revealed that to St. Margaret Mary 350 years ago. Mm-hmm. But having the image in our home displayed is a reminder of what his perfect love looks like in just a glance. And it's an opportunity for us to be renewed just by having that image there. Yeah. And just being able to look up to the Lord and having our children be able to look up to the Lord. I can ask my almost two-year-old, where's Jesus? And she'll, you know, point to the image of the Sacred Heart that's on our mantle in in the living room. And it's just, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful reminder to each of us that Jesus is there in the home with us. Um, you also recommend uh, looking to the example of others and, and making a commitment to prayer and then focusing on the gift of fortitude. How do we do that, Emily? 
Well, I think that I love the idea of looking to the example of others in the lives of the saints or maybe just the person in two pews away from you right mm. in Mass. You know, this is a great season to say, can we have coffee? I would love to know how you raised your family. I'd love to know more about your faith journey. Having someone who's walked that same path, maybe a little farther down the road in a different season, allow them to share that wisdom. And the second, the virtue I really uh, highlight is fortitude, the ability to endure difficulties and even pain for the sake of what is good. I think it's a reminder that, you know, if we want, all things are possible with God, but we need to stay in the game of life. We need to continue to move forward, but not on our own strength, right? This is not about how great Annie and Emily is. This is about, Lord, please, please, through prayer, asking for these virtues, asking for the virtue of fortitude, recognizing your weakness so that the Lord can fill you up. Yeah, and I mean, isn't that what Lent is meant to do for us? That's what these these um, these these voluntary penances are meant to do to help us build up that fortitude when uh, involuntary penances, shall we say, or or suffering come our way if we're if we're faithful in these little things that we're doing now it it builds up our strength to endure and to look to the lord when when that inevitable suffering comes our way isn't that so true i was just talking to my daughter yesterday because she said i feel like i see chocolate everywhere now i know right everyone's offering me chocolate what do i do mom and it was a great opportunity so if you're struggling with your lenten sacrifice if it doesn't hurt, if it doesn't feel like chocolate is everywhere at times, maybe you could even add one more thing or recognize the goodness of I Sometimes I love to think about this as well as a spiritual gym, Annie. We're, we're growing those muscles, but yeah. not on our own will, but on the Lord working through us and, and giving us the strength to resist temptation and even overcome moral obstacles. Yep. The book is called Holy Habits from the Sacred Heart. You can find that linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. And Emily Jaminette, if listeners don't have an image of the Sacred Heart, how can you get them set up? Please visit welcomeisheart.com. We'd love to teach you all about the devotion to the Sacred Heart and enthronement as well. Awesome. We've got that linked as well at sunrisemorningshow.com. Emily, thank you. Oh, well, thank you. Have a blessed and wonderful rest of your Lent. Thank you. You do the same. All right, it's 16 past. We got headlines coming up next. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into a suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. Have you subscribed to get the Sunrise Morning Show show notes? 
When you subscribe, the show notes arrive in your inbox weekday mornings with the list of featured guests, books, articles, and websites we'll discuss. And then you'll also get the podcast with markers to quickly find and hear an interview again or to see the Sunrise Morning Show on video. So to know when your favorite guests are on, go to sunrisemorningshow.com and click subscribe. The most original Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. On Mother Angelica Answering the Call, Father Joseph and Doug Keck mine decades of phone calls answered by Mother Angelica. No subject is off limits and no problem too big for the wisdom and compassion of the one and only Mother Angelica. Mother Angelica Answering the Call, Sunday afternoon, 2 Eastern, on EWTN Radio. 18 minutes past the hour, here's Anna with headlines. At least 100 people have been killed after an Israeli attack on a crowd of Palestinians apparently waiting for aid in Gaza City. In vitro fertilization protections are being pushed through in the Alabama legislature, and the Holy See yesterday released the Pope's liturgical schedule for the month of March, which includes... Holy Week and Easter celebrations. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. And uh, Anna Mitchell, I'm posting right now to our Facebook wall mm-hmm. uh, a video that we just put out with the Coming Home Network this morning with Dan Venezia, who uh, was in the oh, I know Minnesota Twins organization. Mm-hmm. And uh, he Is it talks about a spring bit training about and Lent? baseball and spring training. Uh, I think I might have mentioned this to you before uh, that Dan, when he was. A player, a pro ball player, his whole thing was, well, you know, if I believe in God and I'm a good person, then I don't need to do any of this, all these dumb rules, you know, the Catholic Church offers out. And Mm -hmm. then he would go and be completely disciplined and persevering and, you know, applying himself in this really rigorous way Mm -hmm. as a baseball player. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, he's got this whole cool reflection on, you know, why would not the thing that you apply yourself to in the natural world make sense when applied in the spiritual realm as well? Like, if you, if you want to be good at baseball, you can't just be like, well, I like the game, and I try. You actually have to do stuff, right? I'm, you like, okay at it. It's fine. I'm terrible at baseball, by the way. I'm an appreciator. Neat. But I've linked it I at, played uh, softball. at the Facebook page. I was, the one, I was the one that the recruiter out of the three of us... You, me, and Paul. Oh, yeah. Carl remember? Lowenstein, who was a scout for the Dodgers, came and, and he was like, evaluated I, our swings. I'd on pick the, Anna. On the I field outside pretty the seminary. Proud. I mean, I'm not going to lie. How many years ago was that? And I still. <laughs> yeah. No, he looked at my swing, Paul's swing, and your swing. And he was like, Andy's got the best swing. I know the other way. That's the guy who put together the Dodgers in 88 in their World Championship Series. That's pretty awesome. So, he was a good scout. It's 21 past. If bribed to get the Sunrise Morning Show show notes, when you subscribe, the show notes arrive in your inbox weekday mornings with the list of featured guests, books, articles, and websites we'll discuss. And then you'll also get the podcast with markers to quickly find and hear an interview again or to see the Sunrise Morning Show on video. So to know when your favorite guests are on, 
go to sunrisemorningshow.com and click subscribe. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. If there is one psalm that bears a great fascination for Christians, it is Psalm 22. Like many others, it is a call for the Lord's help. But Psalm 22 contains elements that seem particularly Christian. The opening verse of the psalm was quoted by Jesus on the cross. Later verses give details of the sufferings that Jesus endured. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my prayer, from the words of my cry. My heart is like wax, melting away within my bosom. Indeed, many dogs surround me. A pack of evildoers closes in upon me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. They have numbered all my bones. They look on me and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my vesture they cast lots. O Lord, be not far from me. O my help, hasten to aid me. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Dale Paterka. We're joined now by Marlon De La Torre from knowingisdoing.org. He joins us from the Diocese of Columbus. Today we're going to talk about repentance and the way of perfection. Marlon, good morning. Good morning, Matt. Go Bucks. All right, so I know that uh, we've probably heard the words repentance uh, sure. and you know, penitence and self-sacrifice. I mean, we're not yeah. that long into Lent, but people probably Correct. probably worn out on those words. But let's talk about it from a little bit of a different angle. Uh, mm-hmm. Why does the devil not want us to be thinking about these words? I think the, the, the practical side of it is if he could convince us that we're more important than God, or that we have more value, uh, inherently speaking, than than what God has given to us. Then why have repentance? What why need? Uh, why have a need to go to confession? Why have a need to basically spiritually disperse yourself to God in a way where you ask for His mercy? So there's no sense of uh, asking for mercy if if your focus is you. And if your focus is that, you know what, I'm, I'm perfectly fine. I really do not require any type of forgiveness or healing. Uh, my own humanism is perfectly at peace with my will and my intellect. All right, so that, that's exactly what the devil would prescribe for us. So the further away we can walk from from our Lord, the enemy, obviously, in the mind of the devil, uh, the better off we're going to be in his mind. So he prefers that we not go that route. And if we try to, he tries to at least uh, propose a very frustrating way of getting there. And so frustration, anxiety, despair are key weapons that he uses to convince us that, you know what, it's too hard, or, or, or who says that you're wrong, who says that you actually need any form of repentance. So uh, he, he, he prefers that as much as possible to really uh, put us into this uh, uh, false sense of reality in our, in our own human dignity and our own human person. Yeah, uh, so I'm going to refer people uh, to another book that you've written, uh, Screwtape yeah. Teaches the Faith, in which yeah. you basically look at the devil's tactics uh, as yep. articulated in C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters and think, okay, so what's the lesson we should be learning here? Uh, and the one of the ones, uh, this is from um, uh, about the middle of the book, uh, where yeah. the uh, 
the senior demon is telling the lesser demon, giving him advice about how to lead people astray, and he says, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it doesn't matter how small the sins are, provided that the cumulative effect of them is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. And then he says this. He says, indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual mm-hmm. one, the gentle yes. slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without mm-hmm. milestones, without mm-hmm. signposts. I think it's easy for us to identify the big-ticket sins Mm-hmm. That are right in front of our face, but the subtle, the slow, the, the things that like erode our charity, that elevate our pride. Those things, mm-hmm. man, the devil does not want us thinking about those things. No, because those are the habits that we've developed over time. And those are those spiritual habits, whether good or evil, that uh, take on an identity of, of its own in, in, in our very intellect and will. And we don't recognize those. Those are the ones that really are the... Uh, are at the forefront and really the mechanism behind why we do certain things. And the the, the point of, of, of the devil and his legion is to basically say, look, you've been doing this already. Why, why change? Who says that there's there's something wrong with you uh, that requires you to change? It's it's it's, it's there. It's it, Look, use it. You've been living well. Nothing's happened to you. Uh, just continue to do what you're doing in, in a practical sense. And so the, the language that the devil uses, especially when it comes to repentance, is one really Really, of there's no need. The necessity is not there. Uh, nothing's happened to you, and, and that's the, the the false sense of reality that we receive when he doesn't want us to understand what being a repentant or a penitent sinner means, and the fact that we place ourselves before the throne of God. Well, no, uh, you have your throne. Be fine. Yeah. Well, I, you know, as I'm looking for the cat through the catechism, there's all kinds of great ways that the church unpacks sure. these commandments uh, that uh, that are pretty big. Right. And uh, so you look at, uh, you know, the the commandment that says to, uh, you know, not kill. It's pretty uh, straightforward. Mm -hmm. Right. Don't commit intentional homicide. The Bible says, of course, we know about abortion and euthanasia. Uh, But when it comes to this idea of giving scandal, like how would scandal fall under that? Well, maybe I'm doing some stuff uh, living my life in a way that makes people think, why would I ever want to be a Catholic when they look at me? Right. Am I killing that person's relationship with Christ by the way that I act in public as a Catholic or by the attitude that I convey or killing mm-hmm. someone's reputation through gossip or calumny mm-hmm. or false witness mm-hmm. or uh, boasting or or anything, bullying. I mean, the, those layers down below, those are the mm-hmm. ones where we can fall into real problems and real problems that take a lot longer for us to analyze and correct. Correct. I mean, in, in the common denominator, when, when you look at any, any element of the commandment, um, from one to four or from five to 10, really it's, it's whether you have a contempt for yourself and you have this place for God in your life. And so when, when you love neighbor and you love yourself as your neighbor, and you love God above all things and you express that love of God towards your neighbor, right? Then what you realize is I have to surrender myself. Uh, I should not be falling into this fray of these acts against the will of God, against the love of my neighbor, whether I want to choose uh, sexual morality or kill or put someone in a bad light uh, in public. Uh, these things really draw us to a, a reality that, look, it's not, this is, this should not be me. I should love him. I sh- even though I may not like him, I'm called to serve that person in need. I'm called to serve our Lord. So when you look at repentance and the way of perfection, it really sets the stage for us to want to serve our God, to want to serve those who, who are in greater need than us. And so, and it's an expectation where we serve somebody with nothing expecting in return. 
And, and that's a hard thing for any human being because we are so craving to be served and to be satisfied. And that craving not, may not be holy. And so with that, you look at this whole process, this progression from repentance to perfection, uh, there is a path. And the path is to seek Christ, to seek his will through the commandments, the Beatitudes. And confession does a great thing. It, yeah, it, it does. eliminates yeah, the sacraments are there to, absolutely. to really be avenues for us to actually put this in practice. We've got you linked, knowingisdoing.org at sunrisemorningshow.com. Marlon De La Gloria, thank you as always. Have a great day. Appreciate it, Matt. Go Bucks. And of course, find Marlon linked at sunrisemorningshow.com along with all our guests. Half past the hour, here's Anna with news. Good morning. At least 100 people have been killed after an Israeli attack on a crowd of Palestinians apparently waiting for aid in Gaza City. That, according to a spokesperson for Gaza Health Ministry, the Israeli military has said it's reviewing what happened yesterday, with one Israeli official saying IDF troops responded with live fire after trucks carrying humanitarian aid were surrounded by people. The Biden administration has said it's monitoring a serious incident at the Gaza aid site. Funeral services have gotten underway amid heavy security as Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny is being laid to rest today. The services are open to the public, but some have warned that mourners may who attend may be facing a risk. Following Navalny's death at a Russian prison weeks ago, hundreds of people were detained across the country for simply attending one of his memorials. There is no indication that his widow is in attendance at the funeral today. The Vatican's Secretary for Relations with States is in Turkey for a diplomacy summit. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Luboff reports. Archbishop Paul Richard Gallagher has traveled to Turkey for the Antalya Diplomacy Forum 2024, participating Friday and Saturday in the annual event that from the 1st to the 3rd of March will bring together heads of state, ministers, diplomats, business leaders, and academics to discuss pressing global issues and challenges. With the theme Advancing Diplomacy in Times of Turmoil, the forum is being held under the auspices of President Erdogan of Turkey and with the cooperation of Turkey's Ministry of Foreign Affairs. In its third edition, which takes place as the wars continue to cause suffering in Ukraine and the Middle East, the forum is expected to explore peaceful paths to the global unrest through various panel discussions, keynote speeches, and networking opportunities aimed at fostering dialogue and cooperation. According to its website, international challenges to be discussed at the venue will include the ongoing wars, acts of terrorism, irregular migration, rise of xenophobia and Islamophobia, unforeseen risks of AI, climate change, natural disasters, pandemics, and widening socioeconomic gaps. Yesterday, Archbishop Gallagher arrived in Turkey, where he celebrated Holy Mass in Istanbul. Today, he is meeting with Ecumenical Patriarch of Constantinople, Bartholomew I. I'm Deborah Castellano-Lubov. In vitro fertilization protections are being pushed through in Alabama. The State House and State Senate have both passed bills to protect the procedure. The decision comes after the Alabama Supreme Court ruled last week that a frozen embryo can be considered an unborn child. Since that time, IVF treatments have been shut down because IVF often involves the destruction of human embryos. A bill that expands Louisiana's options for methods of execution is on its way to the governor's desk. The state legislature yesterday 
passed the bill authorizing the state to administer capital punishment through lethal injections, the gas chamber, and the electric chair. Supporters say the U.S. Supreme Court has approved all three methods. Faith leaders, some faith leaders, are calling the methods inhumane. State lawmakers passed the bill as they ended a special session dedicated to anti-crime measures yesterday afternoon. The Massachusetts Air National Guardsman accused of leaking classified military documents and posting them online is going to plead guilty. Brian Shook reports. Jack Teixeira reached an agreement with prosecutors on Thursday. Federal prosecutors filed a motion for a Rule 11 hearing set for Monday, where it's unknown what charge or charges he will plead guilty to. Teixeira is accused of abusing his security clearance and posting classified documents on social media sites. I'm Brian Shook. The latest inflation report shows it rose in line with expectations last month. Mark Mayfield has more. The personal consumption expenditures price index, excluding food and energy costs, increased 0.4% in January. It rose 2.8% compared to a year ago, as predicted by economists. The report from the Consumer Department comes as the Federal Reserve is considering whether or not to start lowering interest rates. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell said last month that he wants to see more good data before interest rates start to be cut. I'm Mark Mayfield. The Holy See yesterday released the Pope's liturgical schedule for the month of March, and that includes Holy Week and Easter celebrations. That's the news. It's 35 past. During this season of Lent, may we suggest giving up the coffee shop and making your coffee at home? You could practice this little penance while giving a few alms by purchasing Mystic Monk Coffee. You'll support both the monks and the show because we earn a commission when you go to them through our link at sunrisemorningshow.com. Also at our site, get yourself a Sunrise Morning Show mug, which you can find in our online store. Grab a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee through sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. I'm Father Timothy Shear, and these are Biblical Impressions. Some people in the Bible appear to have lived up to their given names. This seems true for a man named Philemon. His name means loving. He apparently offered his home as a gathering place for the church in Colossae. We have a letter from Paul to Philemon asking him to receive a former slave as an equal in Christ. Paul seems confident that his request will be granted because of the mutual respect Philemon and he have for each other. Paul even takes the liberty to make a light-hearted play on words in his letter. The name of the slave was Onesimus, which means useful. But Paul hopes it is Philemon who will prove useful to him by allowing his slave to return. We cannot know whether Philemon appreciated Paul's sense of humor, but the cordial tone of Paul's letter suggests that the apostle anticipated his request would be granted. The world could certainly benefit from people like Philemon. For Sacred Heart Radio, this is Father Timothy Shear. Sunrise Morning Show continues on this first Friday, first day of the month of March. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Bobby Schindler from the Terry Schiavo Life and Hope Network, online at lifeandhope.com. Bobby, good morning. 
Good morning, Matt. So there's a new statement on brain death and organ donation by a series of Catholic scholars and medical professionals. Tell us about it. Right. It's, uh, um, I can't tell you how encouraged I am that this is, uh, that, you know, they put this letter together, uh, Matt. It's really drawing attention to, to many of the things that we talk about each week, particularly with uh, the time the brain needs to heal and, and brain death organ donation uh, uh, problem that exists. It was by Dr. Uh, Joseph uh, Eibel, uh, John uh, DiCamillo with the uh, National Catholic uh, Bioethics Center. He's a Ph.D. and Dr. Peter Colosi. He is a professor at Save Regina University in Rhode Island. And they put this statement together uh, that, that basically, in, in layman's terms, Matt, because uh, to, to try to describe the medical terminology and, and, and medical language of the brain death di- diagnosis uh, is, is hard to understand, but their concern is that the, the, current, the current problem with brain death is, is problem enough. And what's happening is they're trying to even make it easier, uh, again, this is layman's term, to uh, diagnose a person who is brain uh, is considered brain dead. And what the statement is saying is there's really no moral certainty when it comes to brain death, and these new changes would even bring in more moral uncertainty. Um, because of this, we need to reject it, and we need to, uh, um, and it gives you some action items, Matt, what to do uh, to, to better protect yourself uh, you know, from possibility of being subjected to, to some of this um, very subjective criteria when it comes to uh, diagnosis someone for brain death, and, and 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 the motive behind this, Matt, is is to um, to uh, harvest organs because of the, you know the problems that we have with the shortage of, of, of organs for people that need them. So um, I'll just read you the the end of of what they wrote. They said, as Catholics, we have an obligation to defend the sacredness of human life from conception till natural death. Given the facts that they lay out in this letter. Um, Catholics need to unite against the utilization of the current brain death criteria, especially when determining death before vital organ transplantation. And, and they also cite Pope Benedict, Pope Benedict and Pope John Paul, and how they speak about the moral certainty of death and how these, these uh, diagnoses are in violation of that. And, and as Catholics, we need to, uh, uh, to reject uh, what's happening with these brain death diagnoses and, and do, do more to protect ourselves um, from, from these types of uh, determinations. And, and, they give, and, again, they give, um, they give uh, some action items on, on what we can do to, uh, to uh, uh, protect ourselves. Well, those action items are broken up into a few different categories, so they have a list of things uh, for you to take care of in regard to your own personal health care decision-making, uh, given this information. Uh, they've got a list of recommendations for uh, stakeholders and policymakers, and then uh, some other recommendations for Catholics who are inva- engaged in faith formation and pastoral guidance, and then uh, guidance for healthcare professionals and institutions and organizational Catholic leaders. I mean, they've thought this pretty well through. It seems like right. And and um, it's as I said, it, it's a long letter. It's a long statement. Uh, I, I, it's, it's wonderful to see over 150 uh, Catholics from from all walks of life, so to speak, have joined to, to sign this document. But they, but they explain it in a way where, where most people can understand what they're saying and, and the problems with brain death. And, and again, Matt, this, this goes, we, we talk about all the new research coming out and, and how it's all, they're all agreeing that the time that is needed for the brain to recover 
And what and what they and what is the it's it's the, the people it's, it's what it's called, Matt. It's the uh, Uniform Determination of Death Act. That's what they want to that's what they want to change, which 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 the doctors would follow. And so, what are they proposing? They want to make it they want to make it easier. Again, just layman's term to diagnose brain death when all the when all the the, the research is saying no no we, we need to uh, we need to give the brain time. And to to diagnose someone as brain dead in, in hours or days from the time they're admitted to the hospital is just highly irresponsible. Not to mention all the other problems that come along with this expansion of of the brain death diagnosis. Well, it is a fascinating list of people who've signed on to this because you have uh, pastors, right, priests who have signed on to it. You also have medical doctors. Uh, who have signed on to this, people who work for some of these organizations that advocate much like you do, uh, Bobby, for the sanctity of human life. Um, but there's also theologians and philosophers on this list, too. I mean, this is covering a lot of different bases. Yes, and, and it's one I, I really hope, Matt, this, this has been going on, well, it's been problematic since this whole brain death uh, diagnosis was, was created back in the uh, late 60s, and it's been controversial ever since. And I'm really glad that, that now we're, we're drawing attention to it so the public can maybe see the dangers. And, and what they say, uh, what, what we can do, and I think this is important, Matt, people really need to understand this. It says decline organ donation status at the Department of Motor Vehicles. Matt, there's no informed consent. When, when, you, when you go up and they say, would you want to be an organ donor, you check a box, and that's it. They, they don't explain anything else to you, which is, uh, you know, I think it's, it's a violation of informed consent, uh, where you really don't know what, what, you're, what you're agreeing to when it comes to organ donations, and, and that's connected to the brain death diagnosis. It also says document refusal of organ donations after death, after death in advance directives, carry a wallet card refusing organ donation, and consider consenting to bone or tissue donation in advance directives. So, so they really explain the dangers, as we said, and what you can do to, uh, to, to really protect yourself against um, uh, them trying to, to obtain your organs from a very quick uh, diagnosis of being brain dead. Yeah, and the Church, by the way, uh, does not oppose organ donation across the board. Uh, the question here is, if this is the way that brain death is going to be treated, and if these things are moving through to hustle stuff along for people, then we need to be on guard about that kind of thing. I mean, that's really what's uh, what's being said here, because there's nothing... Uh, intrinsically morally wrong with the idea of someone who is legally dead having their uh well and medically dead right having their organs donated but when it comes to these questions of of uh as you say rushing the process then we got some problems we got some problems but bobby schindler if our listeners want to read this uh, maybe see who all signed the letter and what the recommendations are what's a good place to find it sure we have it posted on our website matt it's lifeandhope.com lifeandhope.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Bobby, thank you as always. Uh, again, uh, if you're looking for that letter, uh, the title of it is um, Catholics United Whoops, Catholics United on Brain Death and Organ Donation, A Call to Action, and it's a PDF that you can download as well. Thanks so much, Bobby. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, Matt. God bless you. All right, got headlines coming up after the break, plus Father Jonathan Duncan with a look ahead to the Sunday Mass readings. It's a quarter till. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. 
because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare. 844-334-3245. Giving up coffee for Lent? Look no further than the Mystic Monks for a great selection of their Mystica tea to get you through the season. And when you shop their site for tea or coffee, after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. While you're at our site, check out our online store where you can purchase Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Find our mugs and link to Mystic Monk coffee and tea at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Bible in a Year with me, Father Mike Schmitz, is now available right here on Catholic Radio. Encounter God's voice and learn how to live life through the lens of Scripture with a new episode every day. I hope you'll join me as we discover how the story of salvation unfolds and how we fit into that story today. Bible in a Year and Catechism in a Year with Father Mike Schmitz, tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific on EWTN Radio. On the next More to Life, no joy. Challenges getting you down will help you discover the path to a more joyful, abundant life. That's later today on More to Life. Now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 13 till, here's Anna with headlines. At least 100 people have been killed after an Israeli after Israeli soldiers fired on a crowd of Palestinians apparently waiting for aid in Gaza City. A bill that expands Louisiana's options for methods of execution is on its way to the governor's desk and in Alabama in vitro fertilization protections are being pushed through their state legislature. And the Holy See yesterday released the Pope's liturgical schedule for the month of March, which includes Holy Week and Easter celebrations. And which you can catch a great deal of on EWTN radio and television once those get closer. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Father Jonathan Duncan from the Diocese of Charleston. And uh, each week around this time, we gather to figure out what we're going to hear at Mass in the Liturgy of the Word and how to think about it. Father Duncan, good morning. Good to be with you, Matt. You know, we got some uh, some intense readings this weekend. Uh, and we got the Ten Commandments at the beginning uh, for the first reading, but we've also got this reading that I've seen uh, a lot of people kind of lean into a little bit. Uh, I feel like there's some people who, out there, their whole spirituality is based on the Beatitudes, and there are other people whose whole spirituality seems to be based on Jesus knocking over stuff in the temple. <laughs> That's so, right. Jesus uh, said it's most based. Right, exactly. So what are we going to hear? What is the basis of this story? So I think it's it's helpful to sort of step back and say, okay, you know, I, you can tell a lot about a person by what angers them. You think about the moments in our lives uh, where we get really angry, and typically they're when someone insults us, uh, they're when someone gets in our way, 
someone uh, you know messes up our priorities, our schedules, or just doesn't give us the honor that we think we deserve. And what's so interesting about this is, you know, when you look at the life of the Lord Jesus, uh, that's not him at all, right? He's constantly coming up against uh, people who don't believe, who question, who question his motives. And of course, in his own passion and death, he's face to face with people who are mocking him, who are wounding him. And yet what you do see, uh, and, and he responds with mercy, of course, as, as we know. He responds with gentleness and patience and endurance. But what does anger him? Well, uh, we saw, or, or we can see in John's Gospel, at the tomb of Lazarus, you know, he, he confronts death, and the Gospel describes in that moment that he, he lets out this snort, almost like, a, like, an, like an animal, like a beast of burden, at his frustration. So death, you know, which is ultimately seeking to undo and destroy his father's creation. And then here, it's when others are um, essentially like crowding out those who might come to worship and pray in his father's house, and when those are, are bringing dishonor to his father. So it's, I think it's, it's, it's worth noting, what is it that angers Jesus? It's not his own personal um, glory or his own personal honor, but it's always about the honor of his Father. And it's at that that he's angered, and, and how that dishonoring of his Father is also pushing out others who would come in to worship and would come in to pray, Gentiles who would, who would seek to be in the court um, to pray and to serve his Father. So I think before we start, like, taking up arms and, and deciding that, you know, we're going to follow uh, in Jesus' path here, we need to understand whose honor is he concerned about. And very often when we get defensive, it's not our Father's honor. It's, it's our own honor. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, there's no handy analogy for this, uh, but the handiest one I can think of is when you go to a baseball game or you're in an airport and you would go to a fast food restaurant where normally you could get something, you know, at a, you know, well, not as a reasonable price as you used to. But if they know they got you at the airport or the ballpark, they're going to upcharge you. And uh, this is what's happening, right? These people who are coming out of town, yep. uh, from out of town, they want to make the sacrifices, but they don't have the means to keep them with them this whole time. And so they've got to buy them while they're there. And the money changers and the exchange rate guys and all these people, they know they got you, right? <laughs> they can charge yep. what they want. And this is what's happening. And it's a necessary service. And yet corruption has come in and... You know, by by that corruption, they're dishonoring what should be um, a place of prayer. And of course, we ha we need to remember as well, Jesus's act in cleansing the temple, uh, as we hear at the end of the gospel on Sunday, is also a judgment, not just on the individuals who were doing this upcharging, who were doing this corrupting, who were crowding out true worshippers so that they could make a buck. But it's also pointing to the fact that judgment is going to come on the temple itself, because the time of the temple, the period of the temple, is coming to an end. Remember, the temple was the place where you could 
where you could find the presence of God, where you could find healing. We've already heard uh, in some of the Gospels about, um, about how when Jesus does a healing, he says, go show yourselves to the priest, make the offerings at the temple. So the temple was to be the place where you would give thanks to God, where right praise was to be offered, uh, where healing could happen, where forgiveness uh, could be found, all of these things. And yet Jesus, by this act, is also saying, this temple cannot truly offer these things. And it's, it's coming to an end. Um, and so, and of course he says that at the end, you know, and this is the true temple in three days, um, you know, this temple will be raised again after, after destruction. So like that, the act of judgment is also on the very institution itself saying, you know, it's time has, has come to an end. Well, it is fascinating to see, you know, how he connects uh, his sacrifice of himself, right? On the, 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 the cross is connected to the temple, right? This is when the Passover is happening. This is one of the biggest temple days of the the calendar year, uh, and that's the context in which uh, Christ is crucified. And when he dies, that veil uh, is torn in two in the temple. Um, there There's just layer upon layer of meaning here. Uh, and, you know, the one that always strikes me is that as these people are taking these lambs for the slaughter— you know, just the amount of blood that's there in the temple and the the priests, you know, rinse off the altar and uh, out goes the blood in the water and it flows through uh, a, a sort of culvert on the side, right? And so blood yeah, and water is flowing like a, out. Yeah. Much more like a slaughterhouse and less yes. like a beautiful, pristine like cathedral. Yeah, absolutely. Right. But that blood and water is flowing out of the side of the temple as blood and water is flowing out of the side of Christ uh, in the new sacramental reality. I mean, it's... There's a lot to process. Absolutely. This is the new temple, and, and we're preparing, you know, at the Easter Vigil, uh, when the people are sprinkled with water at our parish, and I know in many others, you're going to hear the prophecy of that from the book of Ezekiel. I saw water flowing from the temple, from the right side thereof, and all those to whom that water came were healed, and shall say, Alleluia, Alleluia. So we'll hear that at the Vigil, um, that prophecy fulfilling the the, the true temple having been wounded, and yet the two temple having been raised up from the dead. Yeah, it's a powerful, powerful moment in the life of salvation history, right? This is, this is what it all comes down to. What did Christ come to do? Um, how did he come to complete the picture, right, that was started with Moses in that first reading? Uh, there's, there's much to process. Father Jonathan Duncan, thank you as always. Have a wonderful day. And that wraps it up for this first Friday, March the 1st. Anna Mitchell, you going to a fish fry or a soup supper or anything tonight? Uh, my father-in-law comes over for dinner on Friday nights, so nice. um, it'll be a uh, a home fish fry. A home meatless. I'll probably, thing. I think, I think I might make ravioli, cheese ravioli. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, we got soup and uh, Stations of the Cross in my awesome. parish. I bet you, uh, bet you your parish, wherever you happen to be listening, has some kind of Stations of the Cross or something, or a parish in your area almost certainly does. No uh, if you can make the, the Stations of the Cross devotion on Fridays in Lent, uh, it is a, it's a powerful thing, especially when you can kind of do it after dark in the quiet of a church. Check us out at sunrisemorningshow.com. Get the show notes to connect to all of our guests, and we will talk to most of you again on a Monday. I'm Matt Swaim. For all of us here, may God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.